Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Hello and welcome to season three of the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist that helps organizations and countries look out five, 10, 20 years into the future. And today, our opening podcast of season three is someone that's spoken at Dark Futures and uh, is a social media, digital, and internet expert, Melissa Eshebegi. Uh, she's a millennial on the internet, exclusively thinks and talks about the World Wide Web. She's curious about the intersection of internet culture and real life. She also tells stories about what, what people are consuming online to inspire new, relevant, and authentic ways for brands to connect with people. She works as a cultural strategist in the ad world and has worked on projects for Adidas, Levi's, Miller Genuine Draft, and most recently, the National Film Board of Canada. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I'm so excited. And today, uh, what, what's really exciting about this is we're, we're sort of at this cultural uprising. You know, social media, th these continual waves of innovation, new platforms, new kinds of algorithms to capture our youth and, and beyond. You know, we're, we're looking at the world of the internet and social media and influence. But this new world of social has moved from Facebook and Messenger into self-adulation and, and, and the, the, the dominant force of influencers in Instagram and what I think is the truly terrifying and highly addictive TikTok. So what do you, mm -hmm. what do you say about this current state of affairs, Melissa? What do I say about this current state of affairs? Well, it's a wild world. The internet is, is a beast in and of itself. Um, and what's been interesting for me is I come from such an appreciation and love for the internet. Like I used to call it my safe space, right. which kind of makes no sense because it's also probably one of the darkest places you can be online, right? Like you can find your ally or your support system, whatever that means for you, whatever your agenda is specifically. Um, I think about my journey with the internet and I was like one of the last generations that kind of remembered a pre-internet life and even then like I can't claim that if I said that around out loud to like a bunch of Gen Xers I'd be in a verbal argument but I do remember my first moments of signing online and googling and going in different messenger forums and really just like mirroring and mimicking what my brother was doing right. and to see because he was a bit older than me. And to see how much has changed in my lifetime is wild. To see the agency, the lack of agency, the ownership, the algorithm. The algorithm is like destiny. Um, it's been really fun for me to think about, but also very terrifying. Like TikTok, you, you mentioned TikTok. TikTok is something I've been trying to get people to be interested in for like a year and a half. And the TikTok we have today versus You're talking the professionally, right? Or, or yeah. on, on a personal level as well. Both. Well, yeah, like I've always been in my friend group and in my life and even in work, like the person who's on the, the weird parts, the early adopters. Like yeah. I, I professionally, I was trying to get different brands to be excited about it, curious about it, open to it. And I've come across that challenge with every other version of that, right? Like when I first started my career, I remember explaining to brands like McDonald's, what Snapchat was. And right. they were like, wait, we have no business on that platform. And I was like, what do you mean you have no business on that platform? I'm telling you, your business should be on that platform. Right. I am your consumer. Um, it's, it's like from the personal sense, I'm only just like starting to get comfortable with my digital identity being like one of my main forms of identity. And I have friends in the real world who don't know about my TikTok or who don't know about my Instagram accounts because I have multiple. Um, it's been a it's been a struggle to like get certain people to be interested in it, and at the same time, it's been amazing to see the people who are interested in those platforms and those spaces and what's happening. 
but but what draws you into like new platforms and whatever because obviously you know okay i'm, I'm gonna age myself a little bit now i i'm a gen x i'm putting up my hand there so you know bbs and irc early early days of the internet friends reunited you probably never heard of which was like a network of everyone you went to school with and it was sold for like $10 million to, to Friendster or MySpace or something like that. Um, and, uh, and then you've got MySpace and I remember building like podcasts, meeting musicians on there, doing a whole bunch of stuff. But like this world that we're in has got so many platforms. Mm-hmm. Snapchat is still relevant. You've got Instagram and Twitter, you've got LinkedIn, you've got all these different ways of connecting with people. And, and then TikTok, you know, it's like this galvanizing moment of purity, of mimetic sort of dancing and music and this, this, mm-hmm. this, this sound clash. And of course, brands don't get it. I mean, most people don't get it. The kids don't want to be, be captured by brands. You know, I'm on TikTok and as, as, an, as a, someone that watches it, I don't have mm-hmm. an account. I take a look and, you know, an hour or two can go by very quickly and mostly out of absolute confusion why people care this much. But I'm seeing, seeing this broad range of, of, of people on there, different ages, different abilities, uh, different, you know, sexualities. You, mm-hmm. you know, what, I mean, what's, what's going on right now? Because it seems like we're, we're, we're trying to punch, punch our way out of the, the, the paper bag of, of authority in a way, you know? I think, so for me, what has always drawn me to these new spaces is I'm just curious. I'm curious about people and their relationship with the internet because I think about my history with it and like as a young woman of color who was like a daughter to immigrants, pop culture was my common language to connect with people. And when I got like more interested in the internet, there was an understanding that there's so many forms of culture and that there are micro communities. And ultimately I think that's what is drawing people to a platform like TikTok is this element of like discoverability and relatability that like your experience is not solely your experience. There are other people who think like you or look like you and are feeling what you're feeling. And it's just this, like, the way that TikTok has been successful in separating itself from other brands is that it's a bit chaotic. A lot of people don't like it at first, right? Like, they talk about the hour or two that they spend, and they're like, what did I just watch? Like, you probably came across that wonderful man who has quit soda, his soda addiction. He's, like, on day 110. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Every day he films himself, and he says, like, hey, day, day 43, no soda pop. And he probably has, like, a million followers at this point. Wow. And they're supporting him and committing to this this decision that he's made for his life. So for me, it's really about like relatability and, and experience and just having the ability to like own a narrative, right? Like if you think about the indigenous community and how they've used TikTok, I've learned more from the indigenous TikTok creators than I have from the Canadian education system. Right. I, it, it's fascinating. I actually did, uh, when I became a Canadian, I had, I read this 84 page document and there was like half a page, which is about indigenous nations, throw that away. Now, now I've, I've got a lot of friends <clears throat> from various nations, uh, Chimisan and Cree and Kwakwakwak and, you know, the, the Anishinaabeg where we, you know, we're in Toronto and we have to recognize that, that, you know, the Mississauga uh, of the credit. And, you know, we, we're here, right? We have to mm-hmm. recognize We have to recognize that. Um, but also, yeah, you do see this. It, it's fascinating to me. It feels like a trauma platform. It seems like somewhere that it's like a, it, it, it's almost like a, a one-way therapy session for these people. Yeah. And there's a validation of, in the conversation, it seems like the conversations are a little deeper and people care. There's still the trolls and there's still the flamers, but like this, it seems like the connection is incredible. It seems like uh, even in the LGBTQ community, even like mm-hmm. it's kind of turned into a, a, a lesbian uh, dating app in a way as well, right? It's it, it's kind of weird that it's that TikTok's become this this thing that every 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 other platform's trying desperately to be. Facebook's trying to be a dating platform. It's trying to be a video platform. It's mm-hmm. it's not. And, and it's never yes. going to be that way. So, oh, is Instagram? No, because it's become overrun by brands. There's almost a purity in TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. 
There is. And like a while ago, I think it was in March, I wrote a piece called Your Brand Has No Business Being on TikTok. And I was such a clickbaity title, but like the point of it was that like there's this authenticity that exists in this space right now. And we can learn from it and support it. And I mean, my ultimate dream with working in advertising and marketing is to co-create with communities. Yeah. Right. I feel like we live in a capitalist system. This is the world as it is. And the very little that I can do is use capital to create with the community and they make decisions based on what they want to see. Then perhaps there's a little bit of harmony there in, right. in terms of brands being able to be a part of that narrative. I haven't really been like too impressed with a lot of the brand stuff that I see on TikTok. And there's like a huge difference between an organic channel strategy versus like a paid media one. Right. The like actual ads that you see on TikTok, some of them are really bad. Like really, like clearly people who have never been on the platform are trying to just like monetize this like very lucrative moment of all these eyeballs, but that's not what people want. People want to feel seen. They want to be heard. They want to empathize. And that exists in so many different forms. It's not solely getting a window into what a lesbian couple's dynamic might be like. And there's also so many gay versions of that. Like I have so many gay content creators that I love following right? because I've gotten an understanding of who they are as humans on an individual level that I haven't really had the opportunity to see in many forms of mainstream media. It's, it's, it's interesting that vulnerability is something that, that does come from like a more pure experience. I mean, no question. When was the last good, like really good, connective, heart wrenching, like dropping your phone? Oh my god! Kind of social media brand campaign that's existed. I can't. I can't name them. You know, you, you get brands like Nike that come out with fantastic videos. Mm-hmm. Wide and candy sprinkle their magic on it. But again, it's just a video and it, it's, it's, it's an aspiration thing. It's not a feelings thing, a deep, deep, deep feelings. It's not like the just do it or the female liberation in sports thing anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. It seems like we just have to do this so that we remain relevant so that we can sell more sneakers or we can do this or we can do that. And, and, and even the world of TikTok where someone like Addison Ray gets paid $90,000 for a, what, a 12, 15 second, dance or or message mm-hmm. i don't know what selling paper towels or something yeah it's like there's something wrong right i mean that that you know it, are, are we at this inflection point where brands and advertising has completely lost its relevancy in the world and the kids are going to take over and liberate us from this banal like non-revolution that's happening like that's definitely a direction it could go it's like hard for me to like really project what I think five to 10 years will look like from now, because to me, there's so many things happening on a platform sure. like TikTok, right? Like there is the Addison Rays and the Charlie D'Amelios who are dancing, but even like, look at those two, two women. Um, Addison Ray ha- now has a Spotify deal with her mom. So they're like yeah. creating a podcast and Charlie D'Amelio went on to Um, create a YouTube channel with her sister. So the way that they're expanding both of their respective empires are through content. Right. And I've been trying to communicate this for however many years now that that's the way in for the future of advertising. Like we can still have banner ads, print ads, commercials, but what people want is content. And I truly don't think TikTok would have grown exponentially if we were not put in a global pandemic and content consumption wasn't, one of the like easiest ways to escape, to entertain, to connect, to relate. Content is capital. Content is what drives all of us. Like, look at what we're doing right now. We're creating content. So that's what I see the future of this industry being. It's hard to think about what a world looks like with Addison Rae shelling toilet paper. (laughs) Like that's definitely going to be something that happens. Am I going to be purchasing the toilet paper she recommends? Maybe not. Will my 12-year-old cousin, when it comes to her making those decisions, be purchasing the Addison Rae-supported toilet paper? Probably. Like, think of all the beauty bloggers that started on the early days of YouTube, and now they have their own cosmetic brands, right? And they're multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar businesses. We have Anastasia Beverly Hills. We have Huda Beauty, James Charles. Right. 
these individual creators are becoming their own mega brands. And so one direction that I see everything going is that, like, the human is the ad, your brand is the ad, whatever version of your identity you're putting online is the ad. I don't know what, how we're going to come at like a crossroads when it's like Tide versus Addison Ray, but I can right. see that happening. I definitely see that happening. It's kind of interesting. You also get people burning out and saying, screw it, I'm out. Like Ingrid Nielsen. Like, I, like I, so I'm a big YouTube fan, right? So I follow all this. I try and soak it all up. You know, I, I've got an ad- admission. I used to be a, working the, in the digital advertising world uh, as a digital strategist. It was a soulless, heartless world to, to deal with because let's be honest account people clients advertising agencies don't get digital it's very common base element that is free right it's free and it's free thinking and you can't capture it and you can't just follow a trend and suddenly be as big as you know oprah or whatever right Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's interesting, you know, Ingrid Nielsen, people like that, they're just running away saying, screw it. They're, you know, people transcend social media. I imagine that was Addison Ray. She just got a film deal. I'm sure Charlie D'Amelio, um, Dixie D'Amelio, her sister is uh, like a musician now. Uh, you know, you've got all these people, all these platforms are, uh, are catapulting people up into the stratosphere. But it seems like if you don't exist in social, you don't exist at all. But then we then then if if you're trying to express yourself in new ways and trying to break the shackles of what people thought you were then it can get pretty gnarly as well right for sure i mean like part of like what what you just said made me think about someone like jenna marbles who was like a legacy youtuber and over the course of her career she had to apologize for a lot of things that she had said and done because culture has changed. Our understanding of what is right and wrong has changed. But with the rise of certain movements or certain conversations, she got to a point where she couldn't handle it anymore. And she's quit being an online personality, which was a huge loss for the internet community. Um, And I have no idea what she's doing now in her real physical life. Like, I think a lot about... A couple years ago, I used to have all these conversations about your digital identity versus your physical identity. And they were two separate entities that occasionally impacted each other. Now, if I posted something online that was maybe problematic or unflattering, that could get back to my employer, I could lose my job. Now I'm at a point where if I post something compelling enough online, that gets attention and then creates new opportunities for me. I walk around and some days I'm like, it's a pandemic. So I'm the only person I see and talk to. And so my digital identity is my primary, primary form of, of interaction with the world now. Right. Uh, and I think we don't discuss that enough. Like if advertisers and brands and marketers are like so slow at adopting and integrating fun and innovative solutions, like the approval process to get a social post done is draining you have to go through like legal and blah 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 and like it's not open the system's not open in a pace to respond to actual culture and that's why culture has gone on to create at its at its own pace that's why there is this influx of creator culture because everything else is too slow i remember in my the early days of my career i was having to walk people through my creative team through snapchat um and it Instagram had already kind of replaced the need that Snapchat had fulfilled for the, our target consumer at that time. And I wasn't even in a place where I could explain that. I had to start, start at step one, which was, okay, so here's Snapchat. Right. There's this, these built things called AR filters. Yeah. People love them. Let's make one. It's been a wild ride. Like that's the only way that I can really summarize it. Like I'm swimming in links at all times, trying to keep up with like the who's who. And the funny thing with the internet is you could talk to anyone. Like we're all internet users. We're all consuming something. But sometimes when I speak to certain groups, it's like I'm talking in a foreign language. Like not a lot of people that I know know who Addison Rae is, know the magnitude of what she can influence or impact and I, I like, they're, they're on other parts of the internet. And so that just makes me want to know, like, what are they looking at? Are they consuming Bon Appetit? And have they continued to consume Bon Appetit after all of the different diversity-related issues that have come to surface in the last couple of months in that organization? Yeah. 
or are they um, watching Twitch streamers? And if so, like, what's that like for them? Um, are they gamers or are they just consuming? Are they just watching? Is that their form of entertainment? There's so many different parts of the internet. And I only represent one part of it that's like fueled by my curiosity. And I wish that there were more versions of me that people could openly talk about and be critical and curious of what they're consuming and bring that into the work that we do because it's important. It's, it's ultimately all about representation and empathy for me. It, it's everyone's got a pretty short memory when it comes to the, the power of, of digital. And as soon as something takes hold, people are like, we want that. We want that. And it's all, they're always catching up and it's like, okay, just let yourself be free. Let it yeah. be free. like you, you talk about AR filters. Do you know what? Someone that you don't particularly like is going to do that and use it. Are you ready? Are you ready to let that run free? You know, truly like, you know, memes, are those small pieces that just travel, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I don't think any brand in the world can really get behind that. Even the most edgy brands can't do it. A brand it's manager scary. will not sign it off. A brand manager will not take the chance. And in, in ad agencies, you have to go through multiple levels. I, I worked in multiple ad agencies and there were some wild thinkers in, in the creative people and there were some very boring thinkers in the creative field. You know, build, make a TV ad, do some Facebook ads. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's sort of, it's why I left the ad world. It was, it was a toxic, horrible, uh, limited uh, environment, especially for people that think about digital and new ways and innovation and whatever. And I did mm -hmm. things like I, I did augmented reality ads. I did 3D printing. I, I did a whole bunch of stuff. And I had to literally sneak it in the back door because no one got it, right? You had to, yeah. you had to be on, on the grassroots. But now I've come out of it. It seems like, you know, now's the time to say, screw the brands, keep it pure. And, you know, beyond trying to make money through a, association in a way, just stay on message and do whatever the hell that you like. I mean, where, where are the rebels? Where are the social media rebels today? Or is everyone falling into line? I think they still exist. They're still around. It's just like, for me, the trajectory of a social media rebel is to find people that respect and admire and align with your message. Yeah. And then you become this monetized thing. You become the brand. Right. That, that's, that's what's like, hard to step away from is if I had to make some assumptions about what the future looks like, we have all these independent brands that are going to compete with the big brands. And like the trajectory of what my potential career growth could look like is that I get hired by Addison Ray's PR team, or I get hired by like Mariah Carey's social team, because I have an understanding of culture and the fandom and can tap into it and engage. That's like ultimately what everyone's trying to do is engage with people that align with what they believe in or the product or the service that they've created. Yeah. What, what does the world look like without social media? Say if it switched, <laughs> what happens to the kids? I mean, back yeah. in the day, you'd listen to your parents or you'd, you'd reluctantly sit there and let them speak at you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you're, talk like, you're talking, you're talking to do? someone or you fanzines. I'd buy fanzines. I was a skateboarder. You buy fanzines and there'd be punk rock records with like insert slips. that would be like, mm -hmm. screw these guys and screw those guys. And his, you know, there, there's a band called dead Kennedys back in the day. And they, they always used to publish a, a magazine called fuck facts. Mm -hmm. And it was just full of this stuff that like broaden your perspective on liberal, you know, anti-Nazi, you know, you know, driven like agendas of activism. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, now social media, everyone thinks they're an activist and then they're, they're like the opposite. They're, they're, they're selling, you know, widgets, you know? <laughs> so it's hard for me to answer like a, a question, like what does the world look like if, if we all go offline and yeah. like we're off social media, cause I literally have a Wi-Fi tattoo. Like that's how committed I am to the World Wide web. I've yeah. got a cursor on my middle finger and okay. a Wi-Fi. Really? Is, this, yeah, is this true? Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm internet first. I yeah. love, I like, I know it's a toxic place and that's been really, really hard for me in the pandemic because yeah. it was my safe space. It was where I would 
watch like someone like Philip DeFranco tell me the news, right? And then I would watch some beautiful TikTok makeup artists create looks that I would never wear, but the artistry, like the artistry in makeup, the artistry in hair, like it's been really difficult for me because at the same time, like I remember March 11th through 13th, which is really when my world changed. Yeah. I remember like Sarah Palin was like performing on some reality TV game show. Kobe Bryant died and Trump announced some news story. And it like going through my newsfeed, it was the most chaotic summary of what was happening in the world. And we kind of experienced that on Friday with yeah. the passing of rbg like if you saw your so anyone's social feed or maybe like mine and people like me it was like a lot of feminist voices just saying fuck like fuck what happens to our reproductive rights what happens to our rights as humans um there was this other wave of vote please vote you need to vote and it was this like chaotic state of like opinion 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 and it's hard when I spend so much time in that digital space and I love it and I learn from it and I grow when I'm constantly confronted with, with things like that, with really intense opinions or yeah. images of violence and protest and murder. But I also feel like if I don't watch those, if I don't stay alert, then I'm not necessarily going to be my most, my most physical or authentic physical self because I don't want to be a slacktivist. I don't want right. to learn about all the ways that the world has been designed for some to succeed and some to fail and not bring that back into my everyday life. And that might just be who I am as an individual, but I always want to merge online and offline because I still think they exist in that, that dynamic and that they're influential to each other. But now that we're like in this pandemic, I don't know, like, I don't know if I need to physically exist anymore to like be a human, to be a professional, to be a thinker. It's almost like you're transcending. This is the matrix, right? Literally, you know, we're chatting on a Zoom call. I'm recording the audio and this is it. You know, we we exist as zeros and ones. We're part of the machine. This is my singularity. Like, this is, right? Like, Ray Kurzweil. Like, this is what... Yeah, this is... My version. You know, like, you become a cyborg, right? You're connected to your phone constantly across Mm -hmm. platforms. You're the transcendence you're trying to to create is that but i mean i gotta talk about the future i gotta talk mm-hmm. about where we're heading with because mm-hmm. you know we've talked about chaos we've talked about influences we've talked about activism versus slacktivism we've talked about like trauma platforms we've tra- talked about liberation platforms mm-hmm. i mean one of the most fascinating things beyond tiktok I feel is is this is this massive wave of people going to the OnlyFans platform, mm-hmm. which started off as an influencer platform. It is it wasn't supposed to be what it is today, which is ultimately a platform for empowering uh, sex workers to work independently, to mm-hmm. connect with their communities, um, to perform. You know, every, everyone from burlesque artists to to other other kinds of sex workers are in there. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I've been following this and even people like Bella Thorne, right? Mm-hmm. Child actress. I think she was a Disney actress or something like that, right? Uh, might have been Nickelodeon, but or yeah. Nickelodeon or yeah. whatever. Three or four weeks ago, I'm going to put a naked image of myself on OnlyFans, right? Mm-hmm. Made $2 million in a week. Then didn't, didn't follow through, was kind of probably a jape, a joke, or a play with the culture. And uh, not to say that Bella Thorne isn't relevant, isn't pushing boundaries. Uh, you know, I, I think she's like pansexual, and she pushes herself out there, and she's a musician, and I kind of like her as well. Mm-hmm. But her sort of mistreatment of a platform that empowers others made them change policy for refund. Yep. Because everyone was like, screw this, screw you, you lied to us. Whereas all the other creators are not lying to people. And now they've, she screwed an entire revenue stream for hundreds of thousands of people that are trying to earn a living in a very, very tough period of time. So, I mean, what's this all about? I mean, this, is this an evolution? I mean, in, in preparation for this talk, you talked about you know, sex and sexuality and, and liberation and social and, and this, this, this drive for identity online. 
Mm-hmm. as being a relevant thing. I think that the majority of, of, of young people in the Western world uh, will, 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 have, will have played in, in the, in the you know, quote unquote sex work world. Mm-hmm. And it'll be completely fine. If you would have done this like five, 10 years ago and suddenly it ended up on your resume or someone said, oh, I know that person. I, I saw Nick here. I saw Nick there. Mm-hmm. Talking about myself. You're going to be cast out. Yep. Whereas now yeah. it's like, oh no, no, it's completely relevant, and you can be, you know, there, there, there's someone, uh, Zoe Ligon, uh, runs uh, Spectrum Sex, uh, Sex Toy Boutique down in Detroit, uh, mm-hmm. Thong- at Thongria, and and she just is this relevant, vibrant, you know, sex positivity driven female that that just deserves to be in the world and deserves to be on on a platform bigger than any of these social media platforms to to have a voice right so mm-hmm. i mean what gives we're like what's the evolution well like i love that you bring up only fans because in certain circles i can't talk about a lot of the things i want to talk about take it to a and, brand get your next yeah. meeting like just say okay we're going to take these three influencers they're on only imagine 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 because beyonce literally sent like references only fans on the the remix of savage with meg the stallion right that happens that to me becomes and that a, remix a, and that remix only really happened because of the the, the massive um tiktok movement of the mm-hmm. dance to savage by megan the stallion who i who i think is awesome by the way uh, but like yeah and then onto only fan it becomes this cultural relevancy right when when someone like beyonce names only fans on a song with someone like Meg the Stallion. That yeah. to me is bridging mainstream real world culture, for lack of a better word, with like mainstream or popular online culture. And I, I talked to my peers, I was like, why are we not talking about the fact that Beyonce has named only fans? Because that is a pivotal, like that changed so much traffic for the platform. It exponentially yeah. created a new audience base for the platform. And there's nothing wrong with sex work. And so yeah. the fact that we do not actively talk about these things that people, consumers, users, whatever you want to call them, are clearly interested in and in, in pursuit of is such a missed opportunity, in my opinion. Like the whole Bella Thorne is like, you can summarize what she did with OnlyFans is like, this is why we can't have nice things. Because she didn't actually re- release any nudes. Yeah. She, she, she released some, and that's her choice, and I respect that. But her behavior on that platform completely changed what that platform means for other right. people. So in my mind, my interpretation, she, for lack of a better word, abused what was wonderful about that platform. Right. And now that like someone like Cardi B is taking herself into that space... We're just going to continue to have versions of that where the things that made that space interesting and cool and safe are getting attention. And once they have enough attention, bigger versions of creators or brands or whatever are going into that space. Yeah, I would love to be on OnlyFans, but at this point in my career, that's still something that would probably get me in some hot water because I would have to explain. That's like one of the most exhausting parts of my job is I'm constantly explaining the relevance of something that's happening as it's happening and what that could mean for the future. But then I have to almost like defend why it's relevant. You know, like to have to explain what's what OnlyFans is in an office environment with people who are not on that platform. It like makes me this like black sheep or this like weird figure, this like weird, perverse, horny, kinky figure when all I am is just curious about yeah. what other people are doing online. Yeah, and this is this is this is the human this is the human scale of like, hey, go figure. Humans have sex and are attracted to people, and they've got thoughts and feelings, and they've got behaviors that they want to celebrate, and they want to operate in a world where they're, they're, there's a moral spectrum, and these people operate in moral spectrums that that, that adhere to what people that mm-hmm. don't you know, in, in these corners of our lives, don't, don't recognize what we do. We don't recognize what they, and that's okay. The difference is okay. Right. It, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of fascinating. I think, you know, if I was still in digital advertising, would I, would I be pushing only fans? I think uh, as like a 47 year old white guy, it'd be <laughs> difficult to do that. But I think it'd be even more difficult for someone like yourself, a, a young driven millennial um, creative mind 
that there's got positivity. I mean, talking about TikTok and how hard that is. I mean, what, I mean, where do we, how do we transcend all of this, right? Do we go into these truly independent spaces? We've got our own websites where we, where we operate. We don't have a reliance. Is there, is there going to be this mass exodus? And it's going to be like, you know what? Um, screw Zuckerberg, Sandberg, and Facebook, and Instagram, and WhatsApp. Screw you guys. Screw TikTok and your new partners, Walmart and, and Oracle. Oracle. And Bite Dance, right? Screw you guys. Screw OnlyFans because da-da-da-da-da. Let's create our own thing. Are we, are we ever going to have that independence? Thinking about it, I don't want my answer to be no, but like, I don't think we're going to have that independence. I think right. like the second something becomes cool and interesting and worth paying attention to, someone finds a way to monetize it and then it like loses its sparkle. Right. Um, not to get so dark futures all the time, yeah. but like, right. it, it's just, it's, this is why we can't have nice things. It's because the like people don't understand them for what they are. And I don't know. I don't know. That's a big, that's a big question that like, I have to think about more and I have to, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, the thing this, is, like, I mean, if we, I, mean I, I love all of this. I consume as much as I can, and then I walk away, and I, I dwell on it and think very much like you do as a cultural commentator, and I'm exhausted, man. Yeah. I'm exhausted, but I, you know, I'm trying to work out what, what independence of thought looks like in the future. It's tricky because... Like, and, and I think of like all these creators who like even just like what their thing is, is thinking. Like they yeah. just express their thinking of like capitalism or like the economic well-being of certain groups. And like what happens with them is they gain popularity because someone aligns with their, their statements. Right. So I, it, like once they gain popularity, it becomes this like separate thing. I'm seeing this like weird trend. So I'm on all corners of the internet like yourself. Yeah. And... I'm like deeply enamored with like tarot TikTok, okay. like witch TikTok, yeah, tarot okay. and psychic YouTube. And I've seen this like burgeoning trend of like, um, pay what you can. I'm going to build this workshop. Right. And if you can only pay $5, cool. If you can right. pay more, go for it. Um, and it's such an interesting revenue stream because they are maintaining their independence and they're still creating. But now we're like seeing people like, pay for the things that they love. And I wonder if it's actually taking off because that's like a, a business model that we've seen in podcasts with like Patreon for a while now. Yeah. Where like if things are going to be, if people do want to be independent, the people that are consuming and loving the content need to fund it, need to fund what is interesting to them and, and worth, um, worth investing in like think of there was that podcast um dolly parton's america which okay. was made with um the producer from one of the producers from radio lab dolly parton's america was entirely funded by listeners mm. and the last episode of that podcast they clearly expressed that and they say you know if you want to hear more from us then please fund us so that we can continue to put these ideas out into the world so that's the future i see is if people are in pursuit of independence and it's not going to be co-opted by these social networks and these mega brands, then we, the consumers, the audience, the people that love it, need to fund it. Yeah, and these edge places, they, they need, I mean, the, they need the brands to be interested, but they're not, they're not pursuant to them. Like Pat, Patreon is really, really interesting, right? Jack Conti, the CEO, he's kind of this vibrant character. They raised, what, $90 million three weeks ago? No idea. Yeah, $1.2 billion valuation, right? Um, but what's really interesting as well, and this is what I saw yesterday, and this is why I think that there is some hope in the world. <laughs> NPR, National Public Radio in, in the States, mm -hmm. their Tiny Desk series during the pandemic has been this absolute beacon for hope. I've, I've watched it tons. One of my favorite ones is Tyler, the Creator's like uh, a yeah. tiny death series bts oh my gosh <laughs> were on right and i'm not joking bts huge k-pop band that's mm -hmm. literally shattered all boundaries for k-pop 
Yeah. For music, like, rabid, really. Rabid following around the world. They're a pop band, right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're a real pop band. Had to be on NPR. And I'm pretty sure and I'm, I'm pretty sure they approached NPR, a not-for-profit organization, right? Paid for by the people that use it and, and other organizations that believe. I think that this could be maybe NPR and these independent news sources are actually the, the purest form of social media in a way. They curate and they create boundaries and they let people... Mm-hmm be who they want to be right mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. like bt going into bts territory is like a whole other episode right <laughs> like like a, what a behemoth like who saw that coming right like a a, a, a globally relevant multi-membered pop group boy yeah. band yeah that ends up being so successful and like has such a fan like we shouldn't even call it a fandom it's a standum like yeah. those are stands they live breathe yeah. bleed for that band and they've gone on to like influence a, a lot of what's happening in american politics right now yeah. i would be it'd be hard for me to like i know it's an oversimplification but thinking about the games that they played on the trump administration in the last couple of months i think that's the reason why certain people don't like tiktok Right. Is because like it's given agency and right. um, it's influencing opinion and behavior and we're trying to control it. So I like that in this conversation that you're the more optimistic one about the future. That gives me some ease that I'm not, I'm, um, I'd love to see people fund the creators that they want and the ind- right. independent voices that they want and have just a little bit more freedom and self-expression and not be so concerned about, mentioning things like sex or race or disability or any form of marginalized identity and fuel and foster and support people who are saying interesting and compelling things that we should be listening to and learning from. Yeah. Um, That's what it is for me. Yeah. Unfortunately with, with that liberal territory comes like the, 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 the right of center or the far right wing territory as well. Right. Having to deal mm-hmm. with the bigots and the idiots and, the small-minded people and uh and i mean it's inevitable but it's it's really really hard work right it's uh mm-hmm. it is difficult so i mean what is it like let's cast out 20 years time okay 2040 kids mm-hmm. i've got a kid in, in 20 years time my kid's going to be 20 right What's my kid going to be doing? How's this social world going to be? Is he going to be living in a shack in the woods? Like, you know, literally catching his own food and, and like <laughs> keeping warm by the fire because the world's gotten too chaotic? Or is he going to be literally, you know, engendered in this new world of shape-shifting, mm-hmm. you know, like look, sexuality, interests, like communities, culture, counterculture? I think that shape shifting is going to be one of the big things that's going to going to accelerate here. But but I'm interested to know what what you think. I think that a lot of the constructs that we have in our identities, things like gender and sexuality, you know, the political opinion is going to be way more fluid. Yeah. Um, I think people are going to be hopefully more self accepting and comfortable with their identity and their experience and own their own narrative to the point where I think we're all going to be mini brands. I think we already are all mini brands. And I just see us, a lot of us getting better at being marketers in that way, whether that's a small business owner who's making jewelry from recycled materials or, um, you know, like someone like myself who just sees the world differently and constantly wants to talk about it. I think there's going to be this like really wonderful, open, empathetic side of digital identity and social media and being a person online. But I also see this ugly side. Right. Nothing like we can't be utopic or dystopic, like explicitly. There's a little bit of both happening at all times. And there is a lack of like media literacy amongst this generation and a lack of critical thinking. Think of how, COVID-19 misinformation was spreading on a platform like TikTok that didn't have moderators or people clarifying. They had to include in their UI a prompt that said that there's COVID-19 related information in this post and it might not be accurate. So um, 
I think we need to reevaluate some of our educational institutions and teach these younger generations to be critical of what they're consuming, what they're posting, what they're creating. I've seen young kids post some stuff that's like probably damaging, but then I think about it and like, are these viral moments that impactful in the long term? That's something I want to keep right. my eye on is like when these, these young kids are saying really bad, inappropriate things for attention. I think about like Chair Girl from Toronto who threw a chair and filmed it. Yeah. All the versions of her. I want to know what her life looks like um, and whether or not her pursuit of relevance and uh, being viral is actually going to have a long-term effect on her life and, and, and whatever that ends up being. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an amazing point you make here. And I think you sort of like, we're boiling this down. The reevaluation of the education system, how we teach kids to look at the world, how we, how we teach critical thinking, how we teach design, how we teach morals and ethics. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it. I mean, that to me, that's the future of, any platform that we build that tries to connect humans, right? Mm -hmm. Put humans at the center of, of our design process. Whereas, you know, we've, we've basically commoditized a human and turned them into the product. And maybe, mm -hmm. uh, maybe this is the transcendence that we need. Well, well, Melissa, I, I, I've loved this conversation. I think we're going to have many more conversations like this in the future. We should do this next year when there's yet another platform. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I've got like 450,000 followers on my OnlyFans account. I, I'm always happy to talk to you and explore my thinking and learning. And I mean, I'm in pursuit of being a TikTok famous myself. Currently, yeah. I've been experimenting with the platform yeah. Letting strangers ask me whatever they want to ask right. me. And I've fallen into like a lookalike audience category of what appears to be Middle Eastern men. I'm myself in Middle Eastern. Yeah. And my algorithm says I'm 80% <laughs> of my fan base are Middle Eastern men. It's only men commenting. Yeah. And what's been the most interesting thing for me is like all they really seem to want to know is if I'm single and details of my romantic and sexual history, which is like, if you think about it, like if you step out of your body for a minute and think about how pervasive that is, yeah. that curiosity, like, and I'm, I'm feeding into it because I want to see what happens. Right. So in the span of like the month that I've been doing this experiment, I'm at 2,200 followers. So next yeah. year when we chat, let's see what that is. If I'm even still on TikTok <laughs> or if I'm on like whatever American counterpart becomes um, the version that we get. I mean, we probably should just talk next week at this point. Like life could exponentially change on Sunday when that TikTok Oracle ByteDance deal is finalized, not finalized. Like, are they just distracting us? I don't know what's happening. I just read an article where Trump like basically admitted he did not know the details of that deal. Right. So the, the future is changing at such a quick pace that I think we should just talk more all the time. Yeah. Is my, my, my thought. Deal, deal. Well, we'll make sure that we do that online. Uh, I'll do that on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. Let's sort of like light those platforms on fire and let them sort of become the burning platforms. I will not be creating a TikTok channel and I will not be dancing to several things. I may on occasion install the application to take a look at the, the chaos because I find that that chaos is interesting. I think humankind has been built from war and taxes. I think these new platforms you know, go against all of these ideas and they're trying to liberate us. You know, are we going to transcend ourselves into this new singularity of, of social connection like you think, or are we going to try and bear everything down into a single point where we can control it and put everyone under the spell of the algorithm? We just don't know. What we do know is that we need to teach our children how to think critically. Mm -hmm how to think in, in a broad perspective and you never know my little boy might be become famous in the future for doing something strangely like connected to social media or he might just like disappear into the background and, and go and live in the woods <laughs> and, uh, and and sort of uh push against the system man because that's off how the grid. Goes. Off, off the grid so so uh, melissa Ish, Ish, Ishabegi. 
I'd like to say thank you very much. Uh, this conversation has been fascinating. Uh, a worthy start to season three of the Exponential Minds podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been fun.